Morning, everybody. You guys doing okay? Yes, no, maybe so. Uh, I would assume in a crowd this size that uh, some of you are struggling, maybe going through some difficult stuff. Some of you maybe are in a good place. Things are going well. Joy level is kind of up. But here's some good news for you. Whatever your circumstances today, I am convinced God has a word of truth to encourage you. You know, that for me is one of the most amazing things about the Bible. How relevant and practical it is to the stuff we deal with. That what is in here actually does work out there. That these principles and these truths, whether you find them in an ancient prophecy like the book of Amos where you got to kind of dig down through history and culture to get that truth or get that principle, or whether it's in, say, a a letter in the New Testament from the Apostle Paul where the truth is just kind of right there, clear and obvious. Wherever it comes from, it is all given to us, not simply for our information, but it's given for our application. In fact, look at what the Bible says about itself, 2 Timothy 3.16. It says, all scripture, all of the Bible is inspired by God and is what? What does that say? Right. It's useful. Useful for what? It's useful to teach us what is true and, don't miss this, to make us realize what is wrong in our lives. In other words, the truths of the Bible speak directly to the stuff we deal with both around us and the issues inside of us. And that is what these life hack messages are all about. We we do these messages periodically throughout the year, but they're all basically about applying God's truth to relevant stuff that we are dealing with. And so for the next couple of weeks, we're going to look at what the Bible has to teach us about dealing with some of the most pressing issues in our culture and in our lives. And so today we're going to look at something that all of us have to deal with, and that is negative people. How many of you have at least one negative person in your life? Maybe at work, your family, yeah, that's almost all of us. How many of you would be willing to admit that at times you can be a little negative, a little pessimistic? Yeah, I'm not surprised by that. Do you know why? Because on balance, we as human beings tend to be more negative than positive. There are more pessimistic people in the world than there are optimistic people. And science has recently discovered perhaps part of the reason for that. Some studies have been done on the response of the human brain to negative, positive, and neutral things. And what they discovered is that the brain reacts more strongly to negative things than it does to positive or neutral things. That, I believe, explains why when you turn on the news, it's like everything is negative. Why? Because everything's going bad in the world? No, because they're trying to sell commercial minutes, and they know you'll stick and stay because you're drawn to the negative things in life. But here's the thing. As Christ followers... We are supposed to be the most positive people on the planet. 
We are a people of hope. We are to be optimistic. But in order to do that, we will have to battle with the negativity around us and our own negativity inside of us. You know, interestingly, if you kind of look through the Bible, every major character in the Bible who ever tried to do anything for God had to deal with negativity. Right, Moses, delivering the nation of Israel out of slavery in Egypt, taking them to the promised land, had a bunch of negative people saying, dude, that's stupid. No need to cross the desert. You know, you know slavery's bad, but it's better than the unknown. Joseph, right, the dude with the Technicolor dream coat. You remember when he told his brothers about this amazing dream that God had shown him a vision for his life? Their response wasn't, dude, that's awesome, proud of you, bro. No, they hit him in the head, threw him in a well, and sold him into slavery. That was their response to this positive thing. John the Baptist, just out in the desert, baptizing people with water for repentance to make way for Jesus. People made their way all the way from the city, walked all the way out to the River Jordan just to criticize him, just to be negative. Even Jesus dealt with negative people, not just the religious leaders, even at times his own followers. His closest friend. So my point is, if you're going to do anything for God, if you're going to be obedient to that next step to be who he's called you to be and do the things he's called you to do, you're going to have to overcome negative people and your own tendency towards negativity. So to help us do that, we're going to look at the most famous story in the whole Bible, in my opinion. It is the story of David and Goliath. Now, most of us are familiar with that story of David, the young shepherd boy, taking on the nine-foot giant, killing him with a single shot from his slingshot. You know that part of the story. What you may not know is the number of negative people that David had to overcome just to get on the battlefield with Goliath. It's like David had to defeat three giants before he could even take on the giant. And so as we unpack this familiar story, you're going to see three types of negative people that David had to deal with. And I promise you, you will recognize these people in your own life. You'll think of names and individuals when we talk about these types of negative people. But we're not stopping there. We're also going to learn from David how to overcome negative people. Three practical skills to overcome the negativity all around us. So does that seem relevant? Seem like it might help you a little bit? Yeah, I thought so. Well, let's jump in. Number one, first type of negative person you have to deal with are discouraging delayers. Discouraging delayers. These are people who will try to hold you back from doing what God has called you to do, either because they have a limited view of you or a limited view of God. There are some people in your life who can only ever see you through the lens of their own expectations and their own desires of who you should be and what you should be doing with your life. Right? This is the boss who never puts your name in for a promotion because they only ever think of you as doing the thing that you're doing now. That's the, the only way they can see you. You know, this is the family member, the parent, or somebody from your hometown who only ever sees you as a little kid. They only see you in the context of your childhood, and so they hold you back. That's exactly what happened to David. 
Let me give you a little backstory. A couple of years before David took on Goliath, God actually chose him to be the next king of the nation of Israel. Saul, the first king and the current king, had pulled a Darth Vader. He had gone to the dark side, and so God rejected Saul, and he told the prophet Samuel, go to the little village of Bethlehem, find a guy by the name of Jesse. He's got eight sons, and when you get there, I'll show you which of his eight sons to select, to anoint, to be the next king of Israel. So Samuel goes, tells Jesse what's up. Jesse calls in seven of his eight sons. He leaves the youngest son, the runt of the litter, the skinny little kid. He don't even call him in from the fields. Why? Because he can't see David as even having a shot at being God's next choice for king. So he delays him. Not intentionally negative. Now, fast forward a couple of years. Samuel has anointed David to be the next king. Then war breaks out between the nation of Israel and the Philistines. In that culture, a war, as bad as it was, was a great opportunity for a young man to make his bones, to prove himself as a warrior and a leader. So you would think David's family would be like, oh, this is a great shot for David. We'll let him join the army. We'll let God do what God wants to do. But that is not how David's family responded. Look at verses 14 and 15. It says, David's three oldest brothers stayed with Saul's army, but David went back and forth so he could help his father with the sheep in Bethlehem. You catch that? Even though Jesse, David's dad, even though he knew David had been picked to be king, he still chose to hold him back. I don't know, maybe he was scared, Maybe he just didn't think he was ready. I I don't know the reasons. I just know he got in the way of what God was trying to do in and through David. That's the thing. These negative people in your life, they're not always bad. They're not always the enemy. They don't always have evil intent. Sometimes they're the people closest to you. Sometimes they're the people that love you the most. They, They just don't know The call God's put on your heart. They've not seen the vision he's given you. They've not heard what he's called you to do. And they become discouraging delayers. Now please, do not hear what I am not saying. Look, the Bible is very clear that we are to seek wise counsel in our decisions. That we should seek the wisdom of people around us. And the wisest people around you are the people who know you the best and also the people who know God the best. And so I am not saying that you should ignore pushback or feedback or difficult questions about the steps you're taking. I'm just saying at times you need to recognize that there are some people who have a tendency to be limited in how they view you. That's one type of negative person you always have to deal with if you're moving forward. Second type, fearful doubters. Fearful doubters. These are people who, because of their own fears, try to create doubt for you. So it's not just the people who can't see your potential. It's also the people who can't see past their own fears. Interestingly, in that day, when David was a kid... When nations went to war, 
The armies didn't just show up on the battlefield and have at it immediately. They would actually line up on opposite sides of the battlefield and in this pre-battle ritual or tradition, they would try to intimidate one another before the fight ever started, right? Either through the size of their army or the weapons they had or their ferociousness as a people. I mean, you've seen Braveheart, right? You know what I'm talking about where they line up and they kind of go yelling back and forth. And then the leaders get together and they negotiate and sometimes they settle it and there's no fight. Sometimes they can't settle it and the armies go to war. Well, that is happening in this battle between the Philistines and the nation of Israel. Only the Philistines don't send the whole army to intimidate the nation of Israel. They send one dude. Now, he's a big dude. A mega soldier, over nine feet tall, a skilled warrior with a lot of kills on his record. And look at what one man steps out onto the battlefield, faces an entire army of the nation of Israel. And look at what he says, verses 10 and 11. He said, I defy the armies of Israel today. Send me a man who will fight me. In other words, he said, no need for our armies to battle and thousands of people to be killed needlessly. Just pick one champion. Your best against our best. Mano y mano. We'll fight it out. And whoever wins that battle, that man's army will be declared the victory. Now, look back at the verse. Notice the response. It says, when Saul, the current king, and the Israelites heard this, they were what? They were terrified and deeply shaken. One man created a climate of fear in the entire army. It's not just some soldiers that are scared. It's not just the inexperienced or the cowardly. It's everybody, including the king. King Saul was a big man himself. He was a skilled warrior with lots of victories, and even he's shaking in his boots. In other words, what I'm saying is the prevailing culture in the army was a culture of fear. Why? Because they were listening to the wrong voice. See, Goliath didn't step out and do this smack talking one time. The Bible says he did it every day, twice a day for 40 straight days. And the people in the camp, they heard this negativity over and over and over, and they went from being brave to being full of fear. That's why when David shows up, he's not been there When he hears Goliath for the first time, he has a whole different perspective. Look at what David says, verse 26. He's like, who is this pagan Philistine anyway that he is allowed to defy the armies of the living God? Listen, I'm convinced that David wasn't the only one to feel that way when they first heard Goliath. I believe there were many soldiers who were like, look, climb up in a tree, put an arrow through that guy's throat. No more of that. But when nothing happened, when leadership failed, nobody moved forward, and you keep hearing that negativity over and over and over, it starts to take root, and it starts to control you. Now everybody else sees a giant that can't be defeated, but David sees a problem that needs to be solved. David sees a wrong that needs to be righted. And in your life, There are going to be people who because of their own fears, because of the voices they've been listening to, they're going to try to cause you to doubt yourself and to doubt God. 
But listen, you can't avoid the negative people around you, but you don't have to camp out with them. You don't have to keep listening to all that negativity in the office. You don't have to keep watching the negative news night in and night out. You don't have to listen to the negative people in the church or in your home group. You can choose to listen to the voice of God or you can choose to be corrupted by the negativity of people around you. Number three, the third type of negative person we all deal with are judgmental disapprovers. Judgmental disapprovers. See, these people, they they don't question your abilities to do what God has called you to do. They question your character. They question your motives. Anytime you push back against the status quo, there will be people who will want to keep you in your place. And they will often use their most powerful weapon to do that, their approval. They will withhold their approval. We all want to be liked. We all want people to think well of us. And so manipulative, fearful people will withhold their approval, either through their words or their facial expressions or their silence. That's exactly what happened to David. David shows up camp at the camp. He hears Goliath talking smack. But then he also hears rumors that King Saul has offered some reward for anybody who takes on the giant and wins. So David's like, well, what's up with that reward? I heard about it. And sure enough, he finds out that King Saul had offered three things for anybody that could kill the giant. One, Saul would offer the hand of his daughter in marriage. What that means is basically whoever kills Goliath is about to be promoted to become a part of the royal family. And on top of that, there's a big cash reward, a big pile of cash for killing the giant. And then number three, this is amazing, that whoever kills the giant, them and their entire family will be tax exempt for the rest of their lives. How cool is, I'd take on a giant for that, man. That's a big deal. Now, I'm not suggesting that David took on Goliath for the money, but that's exactly what his brother suggested. Look at verse 28. It says, when David's oldest brother heard David talking with the soldiers about the reward, he was angry. He's like, why did you come here? I know you are proud and wicked at heart. In other words, you you aren't doing this for God. You're doing it for yourself. You're in it for your own fame. And I was thinking, man, that's a harsh response from a brother, right? Why would he automatically make those assumptions? Why would he respond in such a visceral, negative way? Well, I believe because David taking a step of faith revealed the lack of faith in this brother, right? It's no coincidence that this is the oldest brother, right? Who really, he should be the one taking on the giant. He should be one taking the risk in order to try to better the entire family. And so when David comes up and starts talking about doing it, he responds negatively because it shines the light in his own failures. You're always going to have people in your life who will question your motives. But the question is what is not what do they think your motives are? The question is what your motives really are. You got to be honest with yourself. Cuz sometimes we think there's these steps from God and we step out and God didn't have anything to do with it. It was corrupt motives in us. 
So listen, I'm not saying ignore all criticism because they're all a bunch of negative Nellies. No. God uses people in our lives to point out the flaws and faults that we can't see. God always uses people in our lives to hold up the mirror. I'm not saying ignore that. I'm just saying being honest with yourself about what your real motives are. And if they are pure, don't let negative people stop you. So how do you do that? How do you overcome negative people to do what God has called you to do? Three things. One, you got to limit their impact and influence. You have to limit the impact and influence of negative people. Because negative people have a lot of power. Negative people have a lot of power in our world. And they have a lot of power in our lives. That's the reason we're talking about them. If they never got under your skin, if they never thwarted you from moving forward, this would be an irrelevant topic. We all have to deal with them. And they all have power. But never forget this. The only power, real power, that negative people have over you is the power that you give them. Now, I know many of the negative people in your life are in positions of authority over you. Maybe it is a parent. Maybe it's a boss. Maybe it's a teacher. And you think, oh, I can't do anything about that. Well, listen to this. The Bible makes clear that all authority in our lives is put there by God. Good and bad. So don't go home today and run away from home and tell your parents, y'all are so negative. Pastor said, I need to just follow Jesus, right? Don't go quit your job. Don't go breaking the chain of command at work to try to do what you think God is calling to do. I'm just saying those negative people may look like they have some power and control right now, but they are not God, and they will never stop God's will from being done in your life. They are placed there by God, but they are not God. Take David's dad, right? Who kept David from being in the army? His dad. Who was responsible for David getting to the battlefield? His dad. The same person who was delaying him, God used to get David right where he needed to be. My point is simply this. God is bigger than the negative people in your life. That's why David's son Solomon would write these words years later. Proverbs 29, 25. Fearing people is a dangerous trap. But trusting the Lord means safety. But maybe the reason you're not where you want to be in your walk with Jesus, maybe the reason is not because you've got negative people in your life. Maybe you're just trying too hard to please those negative people. I don't know who they are. I just know if you keep always trying to keep them happy, you're never going to be able to do what God has called you to do. Limit their impact. Limit their influence. Number two, don't get distracted. Don't get distracted. Please don't let negative people cause you to lose focus to that thing that God is calling you to do. You know, notice here, when, when David's brother questions David, David's motives, when he says, you're just here for yourself, David doesn't argue with him. He doesn't debate him. He doesn't waste time going, oh, no, no, brother, you misunderstand me. Let me explain all this to you. No, look at what he does. Verse 30, 
He says he just walked over to some others and asked them the same thing and received the same answer. You know what David did with the negative person in his life? He broke eye contact and walked away. And some of you need to learn that skill because the more time you keep spending trying to convince negative people about what God has called you to do, the less time you have to do what God has called you to do. That's why I love the story of Nehemiah in the Old Testament. Remember we were reading in Amos that Amos' prophecy was the nation of Israel would be overrun, that their cities and walls would be torn down, and many of them would be hauled off in captivity and exile. Well, Nehemiah was a part of that when he was young. But 70 years later, some leadership changes occurred in the enemy nation, and they started sending the nation of Israel back to their homeland. The problem was their cities were destroyed. And God said to Nehemiah, your job, brother, is to rebuild the wall. So Nehemiah gets back and he starts building the wall. That's what God has called him to do. But the enemies around him say, we can't let that wall get done. If he finishes this wall, they'll be stronger than they've ever been. And so what do they do? They start to attack Nehemiah. They attack him personally. They start spreading rumors about his character. He's not a good guy. Y'all better watch out. You know what Nehemiah does? Ignores it and just keeps building the wall. And when that didn't work, they, off, they, you know, they go to physical threats of violence. Anybody's up on the wall, we're going to kill them. You know what Nehemiah does? He organizes a security team and then gets right back up on the wall. When everything else fails, this, these negative people do what negative people do in your life. They try to draw you into an argument, to a fight, to a debate. Because as long as they could get Nehemiah arguing over the importance of the wall, that means he wasn't building the wall. And so when they try to distract Nehemiah, I love his response. Nehemiah 6.3. Nehemiah says, I'm doing a great work and I can't come down. Say that with me. I'm doing a great work and I can't come down. One more time with enthusiasm. I'm doing a great work and I can't come down. Some of us need to tape that to the top of our laptops. We need to put that verse on our cell phones because let me tell you, the highest concentration of negative people on the planet are on the internet. And some of us keep coming down from the walls that God has called us to rebuild to argue politics and religion with somebody who's probably sitting in their parents' basement in their underwear on their computer because they got nothing else to do. But God has called you to a big thing. Stop trying to argue with them. Stop trying to convince them and stay on the wall. Maybe what we need to do, church, is spend less time arguing with people about what we believe and more time just living it out in our communities and seeing God transform lives. Number three, then I'm done. The last thing you got to do to overcome negative people, and this is huge, rely on God's promises. Rely on God's promises. Your greatest defense against negativity is not your ability to do what God has called you to do. It's your willingness to trust that God can do it. The positive power of God's promises are our best weapon in the fight against negativity. David didn't step on the battlefield with Goliath to prove how tough he was. 
And when David stepped onto that battlefield, it was not because he had confidence in his ability to use the slingshot. Just the fact that David picked up five stones instead of one tells me he wasn't sure how this fight was going to go. There's only one reason David took on that giant, and it was because he knew the faithfulness of the God he served. That's why when people question David, I don't know, you don't have any skill, you better not go take on the giant. He doesn't talk about his abilities. He doesn't talk about his experience in in his skill. Look at what he says, verse 37. He says, the Lord who rescued me from the claws of the lion and the bear will rescue me from this Philistine. You catch that? David's focus ain't on how big the giant is. And David's confidence is not in how gifted he is with a slingshot. His focus is on how faithful his God is. Have you ever experienced God's faithfulness in your life? I mean, has there ever been a time when you were just in a bad situation and like if God don't show up, we're finished, and then God shows up? You ever had one of those experiences in your life? If you have, let me just tell you, the same God who was faithful then is faithful now. Listen, everything, everything in your life, every experience, good and bad, every success, every failure, everything in your life has been preparing you for this next step that God is calling you to take. Years later, David would finally become king. And in that culture, when you were king, you were above reproach. Nobody could do or say anything. You were the Mac Daddy with all authority. And even as king, guess what? David still had negative people and doubters around him. And you know how he responded as king? The same way he responded as a little kid taken on a giant. Look at Psalm 119. David prays and says, Lord, give me your unfailing love. The salvation that you promised me. Then, when I have that, Lord, then I can answer those who taunt me. Why? Because I trust in your word. Listen, my hope, my prayer as your pastor, as somebody who cares desperately for you. What I'm hoping and praying is that your life will be shaped more and more by the promises of God and less and less by the negative people around you. So would you pray with me? Wherever you are, whatever campus, wherever you're watching from, can I just ask you this? What is your giant today? What is taunting you? What challenge are you facing that's way bigger than you could handle on your own? Whatever that giant is, I believe God is speaking clearly to you to trust him. Check your motives. Check your heart. Listen to the people he's put in your life. But ultimately, you must choose to trust him more than you trust yourself. And you must allow his call on your life to motivate you to push through the naysayers, the negative people all around you. 
Father, that is our prayer this morning. We don't know why we have these giants. We don't know where they come from. We wish we didn't have to deal with them, but they are there, Lord. And so like David, would you give us the courage to step on that battlefield, standing on your faithfulness and your faithfulness alone. Holy Spirit, move among your people in your church today. In Jesus' name, amen.